and welcome to another episode of Cinema Oblivion, your podcast for discussions on old and or forgotten films. I am your host, as per usual, James Eldred, and coming in from the same continent, which is really convenient for everybody involved, who's back today? Hello, this is Diamond Fight, and you are a baby. <laughs> Quit saying that. <laughs> I, I forgot. Anyway, um... <laughs> I, I believe that is a line from Body Double. It sure is. <laughs> the film we will be discussing shortly. I don't remember that line, but uh, Body Double is a film <laughs> where a lot happens. Um, and before we even get to that, before we even get to what else we've been watching, anything, I want to say two things. One, content warning, <laughs> because... Body double content warning for serious stuff like you know sexual violence and um stuff like that that I I given this movie I'm gonna be honest I'm not gonna take that seriously and two content warning and this is a very horny film hmm. and I will I'm a very immature man <laughs> so the combination of the two will probably lead to jokes that will make your eyes roll maybe don't listen to this while driving your eyes might roll you off the road. <laughs> Um, also watch, but if you haven't seen body double, you should watch body double before you listen to this. If you watch watch it, because sometimes when when I do a movie, you know, like them or, you know, some other stuff, it doesn't really matter if you've seen it or not. You know, this one is a mystery and it's a hell of a mystery. So you should really go in blind. Uh, do you agree? Diamond? Absolutely. This is a movie that has uh, has some twists and turns and uh, reveals both like skin wise and plot wise. So <laughs> yeah. I think it's um, obviously we're here because we in, we 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 enjoy it. So we're going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And we I think we can both say that, yes, you should watch this movie before you talk before we talk about it. All right. Yes. But before we talk about that movie, uh, Diamond, it is the spooky season. Oh, yeah. And you've been watching some horror movies. Oh, yes. Uh, got anything to recommend and or not recommend? Oh, jeez. You well, that you've seen recently from your recent recent uh, viewings. Yes. Well, I, I try to watch a horror movie. This started last year, and I'm doing it again this year, where I watch a horror movie every single day in in October. And it's really been a fun... It's been a fun month so far, because I've hit upon a couple movies that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um Megan from earlier this year, like the the, okay. the E is a three. Megan about about yeah. a little robot, like robot little girl. Uh, I loved that movie. I feel like that was uh, it was like AI but better. <laughs> yeah, I heard. I've heard nothing. I've heard nothing but good things about about Megan. Yeah, I'm so actually bummed because it did it did get a proper Japanese theatrical release. I just missed it, so I didn't uh-huh. get to see it. In, yeah, but it's all it's out now on all your services. So I absolutely recommend that one. Um. Give me a second. I got to quickly open my 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 diary so I know what the what I'm talking about. One downside of watching a movie every single day is you start to forget what you've seen. <laughs> oh, total. Oh, I'm yeah. I know how that is. Yeah. Um, I saw Black Christmas for the first time. The original Black Christmas. I loved it. Black That's Christmas is fantastic. That's a good movie. Uh, by, yeah, by Bob Clark. There's a Barb. I mean, honestly, it's funny. Most people think of Margot Kidder and they think about Superman movies, but I'm thinking about I'm gonna think about Barb forever. Like that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. You you saw one just recently I want you to bring up, which was Splinter. Oh, yeah, that was... Which, I just watched that last night, yeah. I saw that when it came out. Uh, 
haven't seen it since, but that's a great movie. Yeah, really. Yeah. Just uh, I it was a recommendation from the Retronauts Discord, and at first they said Splinter. I'm like, okay, which Splinter? Because you look it up, and it's like, like seven movies named Splinter. But this one is from 2008, mm-hmm. and the only actor as a that I recognize was I think his name is Shea Brigham. Brigham. I don't know. He's been in a lot hey, of stuff lately. Say Wiggum. 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 Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been in a lot of stuff lately. He's been in multiple um, Fast and Furious movies. He gets around a lot, but um, yeah, really good monster movie. Most mostly about people in a gas station who who can't leave the gas station, and it's yeah, not because they're that, out of gas. That's not the problem. And it has a cast of like six people, one location. Yeah, like super eighty, 80 minutes long, super mm. lean, really good. I, I, Kind of gross, but not like, oh my god, disgusting. You know, um, I recommend Splinter. That's a, that's a, I gotta watch that again. That's a really good movie. Honestly, um, I would say there is some really graphic, disgusting stuff in that movie, but because of the way it's shot, because it's 2008, like the camera moves around so much, you really don't get a good look at anything that's too <laughs> nasty. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, it didn't gross. I mean, I, I'm trying to think about it now because I haven't seen that since it came out. And in 2000, it's really weird because I've talked about this before. In the early 2000s, I had a much stronger stomach for horror. Mm. And something happened that broke me. I don't know what it is, but I really can enjoy like actual scary horror films anymore for the most part. I need a little scary. So like, like I'm never going to watch Papa Duke. It's okay. Just, it's just not going to happen. Um, or It Follows. Or oh, like, that's yeah, a great just, one. I know it is. I know, but I just, I just, I can't do it. So okay. my anxiety, my anxiety broke, and I just can't do it. So, but Splinter, that's a fun movie. I, I recommend that one. Um, I haven't been really doing any theme to my movies. Me and the boyfriend did watch all ten Fast and Furious films this month. Nice. Um, part, part ten sucks shit, <laughs> and it's not a movie because it's not over. That, that oh, that. Jason Momoa's fucking dime star, dime store Joker bullshit. That movie, that movie pissed that movie pissed me the fuck off. Um, but I, I did I did watch Meg Two, which um is one of the dumbest films I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, and I recommend it. Um, it knows what it is, and other stuff I saw. I I finally watched the original Gol Gol Thirteen movie. Oh, with the uh, Kenta Kakura. Yes, Ken Takakura from nineteen seventy three, filmed in Iran. So it's oh, really nice. fascinating. Yeah, it's really fascinating just to watch it from that level. It's a little slow, and it's not nearly as trashy as I thought it would be. Like there's there's a woman offers himself to him, and there's no nudity. Right. It. It's it's very tame, uh, which I was I was really surprised with. I did also watch the most dangerous game with uh, Matsuda Yusaku. Who's in Black oh. Rain? Uh, that was a piece of shit, and people seem to like it. If if you like that movie, your opinion is wrong. Um, the protagonist of that film is a rapist hitman. Hmm. Um, and nothing happens, and then he rapes somebody, and then he's into it, and then nothing happens, and then there's two fights in the dark, and then it ends. It was shit. Um. Yeah, I saw but, a big one of his. I saw a big one of his recently too, because uh, we did a podcast on Retronauts about Fist of the North Star, and mm. it was it was mentioned that uh, Yusaku Matsuda was a was a big inspiration for Kenshiro, 
And so I wanted to get a little more mozzarella in my life. So I looked up, you know, what's one of his popular films. And I watched 1979. The English title is The, the Resurrection of the Golden Wolf. Now, that's a famous one because I, I know the poster of that one. Yeah. And people seem to like that one. Yeah, and it's it's kind of a it's kind of a rough one because again he's not he's not playing a good person he's playing a guy who does a lot of terrible things, but it's also kind of a fun watch because he is basically a guy who can't stop himself from getting involved in bigger and bigger schemes. So there's definitely some sexual like there's some some I wouldn't say I don't, I'm not going to call it a rape but there's definitely some inappropriate sexual stuff there. But it's also like, yeah, he robs people and he he messes with gangsters. He just he doesn't give a crap, and um, I, I could see that that would make that would help help his iconic status because he's he's definitely like he's very you know I can see how that 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 movies like that definitely influence his uh, his iconic status as like a very macho masculine guy, you know. Well, you know he he he's very attractive. Mm. Uh, he has uh, intensity to him, and he died young. Mm-hmm. So those three things kind of give him a, a kind of a cult status here. And I'm not, a, you know, I won't write off a movie just because it has some skeevy stuff in it. Like I own multiple Sonny Tiba films and those like the street fighter is way skeevier than, mo- than the most dangerous game. Uh, by the way, the most dangerous game has nothing to do with the, with the story, the most dangerous game. It's a, anyway, um, but you have to give me something else, you know, and it's and you can't and it's reveling in it too much too in this movie. It was just mm-hmm. gross. Um, two more really quick. I finally watched an old uh, mockumentary called Drop Dead Gorgeous, which is about beauty pageants, and that stars Kirstie Alley, Ellen Barkin, Denise Richards, and, and uh, Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, I I um, remember hearing about that one. I never actually and saw Brittany it. But Murphy, you love Amy it, right? Adams. It was incredible. Uh, Seiko's in that movie. Seiko. Seiko. Seiko Batuda, the, oh. the pop, yeah, she has two lines. Uh, it's <laughs> very strange. It, that totally mind fucked my boyfriend. Um, <laughs> so it's probably it might be one of the funniest films I've seen this year. It is unbelievable. Just a great, great movie. Denise Richards is amazing in it. And two more really quick, and then I'll wrap it up. That uh, yeah, well, no, she, no, she's playing a really bitchy teenager, and she was good at it. Okay. Denise Richards is good in wild things also. I will not seek, you know, Denise Richards, kind of like someone we'll talk about today, is gorgeous and I think kind of has limited roles because of how, because of her persona. Mm-hmm. But when used correctly, she can be a very good actress. Um, yeah, I can see two that. More, two more really quick. I finally watched the Nicolas Cage Wicker Wick Man. Uh. Um, that wasn't, <laughs> wasn't even a fun bad. It was just bad. Mm. Um, and one of the ugliest looking films I've ever seen in my entire life. The cinematography, like I, it's it's the brightest horror movie ever. Like there are no shadows in that movie, and it's just it's just ugly. Everyone's terrible in it. It was horrible. It's not fun. It's just stupid. Not the bees. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, and I watched Body Slam. Speaking of body, um, which stars Dirk Benedict from uh, the A Team. Yeah. Tanya Roberts from A View to a Kill. Uh-huh. Roddy Roddy Piper. Yeah. Uh, Captain Lou Albano. <laughs> sure. Uh, with cameos by John Aston, Billy Barty, and Charles Nelson Riley. 
All right, so something for everybody. <laughs> yeah, it's from the director of Smokey and the Bandit, Hal Needham. Uh, it's a comedy about a con man who becomes a a, a, a quote unquote music producer who's really just a con man mm-hmm. who becomes who falls into becoming a wrestling manager. Um, I'm not gonna say it's good because it's not. Uh, it is kind of charming in its '80s stupidity. Um, the main character sucks. He's horrible. He's horrible. Just the worst person. It has some really bad. It has a, a Japanese. It has John Fujioka, uh, playing Korean, who is consistently mistaken for Japanese, which is confusing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> On multiple levels, and he makes a lot of LR jokes. Um, mm. The I will. What I want to mention. What I'm going to use um, a homophobic slur, and I'm sorry. You know, uh, I am gay. Um. You know you, you you know who Billy Barty is, right? Of course. Very famous little person. Very famous little person. He plays a wrestling manager in this. And there's a scene with him and Lou Albano on a TV show with Charles Nelson Riley as a wrestling host, which is hilarious, and the main character. And Captain Lou Albano keeps insinuating that the main character is gay. And Billy Barty just calls him a faggot, like over and over and over again, to the point where it stops being offensive for me. And became hilarious because it's the only word he'll say. And then it cuts to the audience and there's another little person holding a sign that says faggot. Oh, jeez. That, that should be a gift. That should be a gift. Like, yeah, that's bad. But I, oh, we had to pause it. We were <laughs> laughing so hard. So not a good movie. It's on Tubi. I feel like I say those two things a lot back to back. Um, it's not a good movie, but it's on Tubi. If you like wrestling, if you like wrestling from the 80s, maybe check it out. It's probably the best wrestling movie from the 80s because it's certainly better than No Holds Barred. Mm, oh, jeez. Um, I saw that one not too long ago. Yeah, for the first time. That was uh, atrocious. Uh, <laughs> atrocious, atrocious, god-awful, awful, awful film. Although, so, if we're talking about really bad horror remakes, I have to give a shout-out to The Omen. I watched the oh, 2006 man. version of The Omen, and I know its reputation, but I was like, ah, how bad can it be? It's like, no, it's, it's really goddamn bad because it's just so it's such a boring retread of the same. It's the same script. They didn't even. They couldn't even credit a new writer. They credited the old writer because they didn't change it. Wow. It's that's how bad it is. That's and pretty rare. Ugh, just really, just shameless and just like yeah, they made it. They made it because someone said, "Oh, we can make we can release a movie on June 6, thousand six, and what if we made another Omen?" And they're like, oh god, it's, it's just really insultingly I, I, bad. I remember reading about that. And I think in Entertainment Weekly, and that movie had production problems when they were making it. And I remember someone there was like an either somebody alluded to this or it was an off the record comment. Some studio executive said, "This fucking movie comes out on six six six. You have <laughs> no choice." <laughs> yep. And he, you know, he's not wrong. Like, if you if you're gonna do that, it has to come out that day. Yep. Um that's but, that's all it was. That's that's where this uh, that was the beginning of the meeting. That was the entire PowerPoint presentation. Is it we better all, or, is it better or worse than Omen 4? I actually haven't seen any omens bef- besides the first one, but I saw okay. the first one as a child and it was definitely one of those movies that like, you know, scared the hell out of me. Um, I had a yeah, I had a neighbor named Damien. <laughs> and he was a prick. Uh anyway, um we should move on. Let's go sure. talk about a, I, I guess, a good movie, a, a, a good movie. 
Um, I think it's a great movie, yeah. An entertaining film. Oh, body, yeah. Body Double, 1984. So, um, before we get into it, well, really quick, uh, Diamond, what is Body Double about? Oof. You know, it's <laughs> it's not that easy to explain. It's not. This is not a high-concept film. I'm going to say... It's a it's an unflinching look at the life and times of working actors in Los Angeles and how just because someone does you a favor, it might not be it might not be in your best interest to accept that favor. Mm-hmm. I'm especially if, with- especially if, if this favor is a complete stranger offering you a fabulous uh, house, you know, house, uh, house, house sitting gig, even though you just met him. Maybe maybe look at that one with a grain of salt. Just gonna yeah. say, <laughs> I am gonna I am gonna go the the high concept route and say it is uh, dial M for murder divided by vertigo times a window. You uh, know what? Actually, I should give a shout out. There was a um, a letterbox review from hang on, I have it here from letterbox user Carol Grant, who said Brian De Palma really went and said, "What if I re- remade both Rear Window and Vertigo at the same time?" But like, really really horny i mean my my letterbox <laughs> review is one sentence and it is yes. the first film ever written by a boner so <laughs> because this is the this is one of the horniest films ever made you know very roughly it's about an actor who go who's house sitting and s- becomes a voyeur and then things happen from there um yep. it's a diploma film it's hitchcockian you can guess some of the things that might happen uh how did you first discover body double diamond well that's part of the fun i'll be honest okay. i i've i don't know what happened first i'm not sure about the order operations but i do know that my friends and i definitely watched it while we were getting into the whole uh you know psychedelic scene we were taking mushrooms or acid a lot <laughs> Did not so that. go on this is this is absolutely a movie that we saw while uh tripping balls which is why Lines like "You are a baby" have stuck in my head for you know well over a decade now because this this would have been early two thousands and yeah, just Whoa, so okay. much of this movie, so much of this movie just comes at you from weird places. You know, people scream at weird times. There are cuts. You know, there are what seems like dreams. Maybe you know the camera. You know, for this man, what a lucky man, uh, J- Jake Skelly must be because every time he makes out with a woman, the camera and the world rotate around him like it's you know the world is spinning around him and you know imagine me you know tripping balls in my apartment and just going oh (laughs) (laughs) well i i have a very different story um i discovered this relative i mean i always knew this movie i i remember the box in the video store it was definitely one i was not allowed to rent um as a kid uh there were very few of those so if my dad said, no, you can't see this, then yo, I, I shouldn't see it. Um, but I didn't watch it until the lockdown. During oh. the, when the lockdown first started and I was watching like three movies a day and I decided I'm just going to watch every movie I remember from the video store that I hadn't seen. So this was on that list. And I remember announcing to Twitter I was going to watch it. And then somebody said, wait till you get to the Frightened Ghost of Hollywood scene. <laughs> and I was like, excuse me, what? And they were right. So um, it really blew my mind. 
I have always had problems with it, even from the first viewing, but it's such it's such a stylish, such a stupid fucking movie in a lot of ways <laughs> that I just kind of I love it, even though it's kind of a hot mess, especially the third act. Um Yeah. I really feel like you can you can really this says a lot about it, I think. This is a movie ass movie. I feel oh. like so much of the elements going into this film are almost like a microcosm about filmmaking. You know, mm -hmm. the way things get set up, the way things are introduced, the way characters behave. Because, you know, there is a, there's a deception going on. There's a performance going on. So it's like the characters in this... And also because of the fact that so, almost all the characters in this movie are themselves actors. Mm -hmm. You know? Like, there's a staginess to this movie. And I just, I feel like that only makes it all the more enjoyable and all the more sensational when you're watching it. Cause it's, it's so, it's such a movie ass movie it really is. I mean, it, it really is. And that's a lot to do with De Palma. You know, mm -hmm. this is, we, we are in, this is 1984. We are in peak De Palma. Mm. Really? Uh, this is, he, he had Carrie in 76 and the Fury in 78, but I feel like the modern De Palma of like Hitchcock, but horny. Um, really <laughs> peaks, no pun intended, pun intended, with 1980s Dress to Kill, which is incredibly problematic. Um, have you seen Dress to Kill? I have not seen that one, but yeah, I, I know it's I know it's infamous, but I have not seen that one. I, I can't say why it's problematic without okay. spoiling it, without spoiling it. Sure. Um, I'll just say there is there are LGBT issues there, and sure. the movie is heavily inspired by Psycho, so do the math in your head. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Also, though, that movie is gorgeous. Um, yeah. It's never boring. Uh, just like this movie, it is exceptionally horny, filled with sex, kind of makes no sense, and the third act kind of falls apart. Um but it does have Andrew Dickinson and Michael Caine and Nancy Allen and Dennis Franz. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a good, I recommend, I, if you're not offended, if, if you can take offensive betrayals of LGBT characters with a grain of salt or just, you know, as, as what they are from the time period, I do recommend Dress to Kill. And then he followed that up with Bot with Blowout, mm. which is an amazing movie. Yeah, probably I love my, Probably my favorite Travolta film outside of Pulp Fiction. Uh, or face off, um, kind of, re kind of a remake of Blow Up by Antonioni. Uh, has one of the funniest openings from a in a in a in a thriller ever in the history of film. <laughs> um, but that didn't do well. It, it it kind of it didn't lose a ton of money, but it wasn't a hit. But critics loved it. And then Scarface in '83, less horny, um, more violent, and more coke, that, <laughs> a lot more, more coke. Oh, <laughs> oh god, yes. And that movie one one thing people don't realize about that movie is that movie was a hit, but not huge. But when it came on video, it was massive. And my dad always said that was one of the biggest in the eight up in for like the first five years of his video store, that was never in stock. It was always off the shelf. So people loved that movie and it it's become a classic, but it was also super controversial. So basically what I what I'm saying here is you have you know, you, you take Blowout out of the equation here. In 80 and 83, you have an incredibly horny, sexual, uh, of possibly offensive film, and then, an, and then an incredibly violent film. 
back to back. And that's where we are when we get the body double. <laughs> I feel like Brian De Palma, because he worked a lot during this period, I feel like you can look at his, his filmography and there's almost like a there's like a, a binary going on. It's like one for me, one for them, one for me, one for them. Mm-hmm, you know, like because mm-hmm. like I know the movie I looked it up, the movie after this is some crappy comedy with what Joe Piscopo and Danny DeVito? Like Wise Guys. Yeah. That I think it's basically forgotten, you know? It's just yeah. like mm-hmm. But then I think eighty six is what? Untouchables? Eighty seven is Untouchables. Uh, eighty seven. Uh, and then after that, it starts to get, you know, Casualties of War, Bonfire, The Vanities, Raising Kane, Carlito's Way, Missing Impossible, and then no hits since. Although I love Snake Eyes. I have good, I have fond memories of Snake Eyes, but I haven't seen it since the theater. So that's 25 years, you know? I, I, I saw it about two years ago. I still enjoyed it. Um, but, you know, De Palma was inspired to make this while making Dress to Kill, because Dress to Kill has kind of infamously a body double scene. Because right. there's a scene where Andrew Dickinson's masturbating in the shower. It is <laughs> clearly not her. Um, like, Andrew Dickinson is a, was, is a gorgeous woman. But, I, okay, I'm going to get crass a lot here tonight because we're talking about bodies a lot. Those are not her boobs. It right. is very obvious it's not her boobs. Um, still, and it's a very, like, and the scene is so graphic, no actress would do it, I would imagine. I'm surprised see let a body double do it. But, that was he got inspired by that, and then surprise, surprise, he watched him Hitchcock, <laughs> and he was like, and when the MPAA got pushed back from uh, Dress to Kill and Scarface, he was like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna make an actual X-rated film," and he kind of backed down on that, but that was the inspiration. Um, and joining him to help him is a screenwriter that I knew nothing about, named Robert J. Arvetch. Uh, who this is probably his biggest thing. Yeah, I, I, it's, I mean, I only recognize one of the movie from his list, and it's only because it's it's so famously terrible. <laughs> Which one is that? Uh, a Stranger Among Us. Why is that famously terrible? Well, it was the one-two punch, because in the same year, 1992, uh, Melanie Griffith had two movies, A Stranger Among Us, where she it's basically like a witness, except she's a cop infiltrating the Jewish community of New York City. And shining through, where she is a Jew, but she's working as a spy with Michael Douglas during World War II. Oh yeah, that one. And both movies, I'm pretty sure, did very poorly. Both movies were critically reviled, and just just the two of those together really like cemented me as like, oh yeah, Melanie, Gr-. like, she, you know, it didn't absolutely, you know, she she still works today, but mm-hmm. I remember that was kind of like the first thing for me was like, oh yeah, Melanie Griffith is kind of a big star, but also like. She used to make a lot of movies that no one likes. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Robert J. Averick has a weird career in that a lot of his films, he is he is an Orthodox Jew. Okay. And a lot of his films play into that, as, as you know, because there's um, A Stranger Among Us, which is about, you know, Hasidic Jews in New York. There's The Infiltrator, where Oliver Platt is a reporter who was undercovered and was a neo-Nazi group. There's... Uh, with Scandal in a Small Town, where Raquel Relch plays like a trampy waitress who fights an anti-Semite teacher. <laughs> um, all kinds of weird, and, and uh, at least two of the films that also deal with Nazis or anti-Semitism. And that's fine, but from what I can tell, most of them are bad. Um, he also made a movie called Running Delilah, which is was Kim Cattrall as Robocop, which I kind of want to see. Um <laughs> That's a hell of a pitch. That's a hell of a pitch. <laughs> a of a pitch. Uh, 
I will say that if you go to his Twitter feed, uh, he looks like a massive piece of shit. Yeah, Just, like not even like maybe the worst. Like he makes Michael Moriarty look level headed. Oh, he seems especially, bad... especially with what's going on in the news right now. I can't imagine. I ha- oh God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't. Yeah, yeah. I can't even imagine. But yeah, he's super, super, super right wing. Super blatantly racist. Doesn't even try to hide it. Um, just seems like a real piece of shit. Uh, I don't know how much of this was his work. You know, because this, this feels super De Palma. Yeah, but De Palma has the only story credit, but he's he's like he's credited as the co-writer. So yeah, so yeah, I think De Palma thought of most of it, and maybe Avra kind of put it together. Who knows? Um, not a good screenwriter. Uh, this does have a lot of other De Palma cohorts, though. It has Stephen Stephen H. Burns, cinematographer. He did a lot of De Palma, and then the f- fantastic, fantastic score mm. is by Pino Donaggio. Uh, who, if you look at his pictures, he is Italian as fuck. <laughs> um, he, if he, if that man was not a film composer, he'd be in the mafia. Um, sorry, everybody, but he's done like two hundred movies, usually exploitation, usually thriller genre films. Uh, his score to Dress to Kill is fantastic. Uh, his score to Blowout is very good. And I have seen, I have heard his music in, oh, Don't Look Now, uh, Piranha, The Howling, Black Cat, uh, the 1983 Hercules, which I highly recommend as a bad movie. Uh, <laughs> God, so many. I'm just, Crawl Space, bad movie, good score. The Barbarians, fun movie, good score. Like, even even with crap, he delivers. I. Uh, just really evocative, and I, I feel like De Palma probably hired him because this dude can be Morricone as hell. Yeah, apparently his his birth name is uh, Giuseppe. Just just to oh, add to Giuseppe. it. There you go. Giuseppe I'm, I'm, Donaggio. Yeah. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, the new voice of Mario. No, anyway. <laughs> So yeah, a, a real um, kind of De Palma is kind of running with, running with his crew here. Um, and then in front of the camera, I mean, I, the main star here is Melanie Griffith, but we should talk about the star of the film, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Craig Wasson. How do you describe Craig Wasson? This, again, this became an inside joke with me and my friends for years because he is just, he is weird Bill Maher. And, if, and I'll be honest, if you go on Letterboxd, other people say this too. This is not just me. He just, he looks like Bill Maher, but something's off. You know, dime store Bill Maher. <laughs> I mean, given how shitty Bill Maher is, I don't know. This might be the good Bill Maher, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it, when I look at his headshot, you're right. I don't see it in the movie, <clears throat> in this movie, but I, I do see. I haven't seen him in many things. He's in Schizoid, which is a bad movie. Uh he is in Malcolm X, but I don't remember who he is in that. I've only saw. I only saw Malcolm X is the kind of film I only kind of want to watch once. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's great. It's great. Like, don't get me wrong. But I do want to see Ghost Story. I know he's in that. And I, I'm I'm curious to see that. But 
looking at other films, you know, uh, Dean Cain's Boa. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. David, David Carradine's Midnight Fear. Rob Lowe's Escape from Under Pressure. Uh, Stannon Reed's The Sister-in-Law. It's one I've always, I remember the box for, Carney. 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 Carney stars Gary Busey, Jodie Foster, Meg Foster, uh, Meg Foster, unrelated, um, Tim Thomason, and fucking Robbie Robertson <laughs> from the band, and Fred Ward. I've always wanted to see Carney because it looks horrible. Um, <laughs> but yeah, strange career by this guy. I don't, th- you know, I think this is probably his biggest role. I think so because he's you know he's he's absolutely the lead. He has a huge amount of screen time, mm-hmm. and it's also again he's an actor playing a working actor. And I feel like his career is also like that of a working actor. He just, yeah. he just pops up in all these things. I got to give a shout out. I did not know this until looking him up today. Mm-hmm. So he made one appearance on Star Trek: D Space Nine, but he's in full face makeup. I never recognized him. Mm-hmm. It's a really big episode, and he's a really big part. It's the one where they send. Chief O'Brien to mind prison, and he basically spends like he has a he lives out a prison sentence, but like only in a few minutes. Oh, but no. in his mind, he spent like oh. years in prison. And Craig Wasson plays his cellmate, so like it's a really dramatic episode. And he's you know it's a it's a really famous episode, and I had no idea it was Craig Wasson behind all that makeup. <laughs> mind prison. Yeah, I think I think the movie's called, I think the episode is called like uh, maybe Hard Time, but yeah, it's okay. an infamous one. I thought it was mind prison. I didn't know what was going on now. He also is in Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Uh, kind of a, a big role in that. So, But that's two years. That, that's after. If you go from Body Double to the third Nightmare on Elm Street film, I think your career is going in the wrong direction. Mm. Uh, you know, billed very highly, but really not in the film that much, is Melanie Griffith. And this is probably her breakthrough role. Uh, would you agree? <sighs> I feel like I mean it's you go from this to something wild, yeah. It's like it's only it's only up from here for like a, a good number, almost a decade, I think. Yeah, I mean you go from this to something wild to Working Girl, so <sighs> yeah, you know, which is like I I still want I still have not seen that. I really want to because every time I see scenes from Harrison Ford is the most handsome man who has ever existed in the history of film in that movie. Um, oh, that's yeah, that's right up your alley. It's late eighties. It's late eighties, but it's also very eighties. Uh, tremendous cast. Everyone's, you know, Melanie Griffith and her best friend in the movie are uh, Joan Cusack. They've got the biggest hair imaginable. You know, oh, yeah, I gotta watch incredible. Yeah, but before, like Melanie Griffith, you know, she is the daughter of Tippi Hedren. I, uh, which of course she is, because why else would she be in a diploma? <laughs> I don't care. I read interviews. He said it was a coincidence. I don't believe him. <laughs> he is lying. You know, she's a great actress. She can be a good actress, but I think her being Tippi Hedren's daughter really helped to her. Um, because before this, her only she's a child actor, and it's like like you know, not child actor, but like a uh, young teen actor, and like a few small productions, some so, something in Israel called The Garden, and then of course there's um Roar. <laughs> yeah, there is Roar. <laughs> which I might say for this podcast someday. Um, if you haven't seen Roar, everybody, you should you should watch Roar. Uh, it's a special film. No, it's special. Uh, I I, I, got to, I watched it on Amazon Prime in Japan. It's available. 
I have, yo, okay, so, okay, so Roar is a movie about a family that lives with a bunch of lions and tigers, and uh, it is terrifying, because, like, people almost died. I think she got her scalp torn off, making that, Mona Griffith did, um, like, for real, uh, but, like, that movie was moderately successful in Japan, because I have a Japanese soundtrack to Roar. <laughs> Which has more songs in it. They add songs. And sure. my bo- my boyfriend, who was not known for trash movies, before he had met me, had seen Roar. <laughs> <laughs> Which confused the hell out of me. Before Roar, she didn't make one real movie that I've also wanted to see if it's out of print called Joyride. And I've always wanted to see Joyride because it is the ultimate Nepo baby movie. It has, <laughs> it has Anne Lockhart. That's June Lockhart's uh, daughter. Second second time missing this month on this podcast, because troll. Um, Melanie Griffith, Robert Carradine, everyone's favorite Car- no one's favorite Carradine, and Desi Arnaz Jr. <laughs> 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 so I've always I've always wanted to see that. It looks good. Um, it's from the director of Green- from the director of the Stepfather. Uh, so it could be good, but I think Melanie Griffith. You know the Razzies like her, but she, I, they yeah. like her by by which thing they hate her and nominate her almost every year. <laughs> so I feel like Melanie Griffith, like she can be very very good. Yes, you know, but I feel there's two problems with her. One is she picks bad movies. I think so, and she has an affectation to her voice. Yes, which can make her sound stupid. Yes. Uh, to the point where she was in a remake of Born, Born Yesterday, which is a movie about a a, a, a quote unquote stupid girl who becomes smart, which bombed. Um, yes, which bombed also. <laughs> um, you know, and she was. I'm looking at her, her her wiki. So how many golden raspberries we got? One for nominations: Bonfire the Vanities, Born Yesterday. Which, she's good yeah. in that movie. That movie's got its problems, but she's good in that movie. Well, that's because the Raspberries suck. <laughs> In addition to being rampantly homophobic, they're also sexist. Um, too much, not the too much I covered, a different too much. Um, Mulholland Falls, Crazy in Alabama, Cecil be Demented. She is good in that movie. Fuck them. But I would say her last movie of note was probably The Disaster. disaster. She was in two movies in, in, in 2017. She was in The Disaster Artist and... Uh, something about the power of Somalia, but Disaster Arts was, was a pretty big movie. So yeah, actually, I, I guess I forgot she was in that one. I guess I, I was too distracted by all the you know Tommy Wiseau impressions. But yeah, and she's in a she was in a TV show called Smilf on Showtime. There's too much TV. There's too much TV. Um, <laughs> so, but I I do like her. You know, I I've always thought she was kind of had a good vibe. Uh. It's just a shame she's in terrible films. I have a very vague recollection of Pacific Heights. Mm. And I think I enjoyed it, but like, she's just in so many bad movies. <laughs> it's really a shame because she could be a good actress. Um, I really need to watch Working Girl. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Highly recommended. Yes. And then as Sam, we have Greg Henry, who is definitely a that guy actor. Oh, ama- but an amazing that guy actor. Because I-, I feel like when he shows up, you're like, oh, yeah, it's that guy. You say it with a good with a good, good tone of your voice. All kinds of stuff. I recognized him in addition to all of his De Palma films. 
uh, I recognized him from Slither. Yes. And you brought up Payback, and after I, I saw that, oh yeah, he's in Payback. Payback's a great movie. Uh, both versions of Payback are good. I, I even know a, a human monster Mel Gibson is in it. It's still a good movie. Yeah, Payback, uh, the, the 99 Payback is so funny to me because like, if you look at the cast for that movie, it is just a murderer's row of people, you know, not all of them are famous, but everyone like is so good at what they're like. William Devane shows up for like one scene, uh, you know, um, James Coburn shows up for the finale. Um, she wasn't really famous at the time, but Lucy Liu is, 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 is like a, an assassin in that movie. Like it's such a it's such a great cast. Yeah, yeah. Um, Crystal Clavison's in that, I think. Um, and I Slither wanna... is a, Slither is oh. one I want to shout out because I saw that recently for the first time, and I loved Slither. And Greg Henry plays a small town mayor. And you meet him because he's stuck in traffic and he's yelling and cursing at someone. And then someone's like, oh, howdy, mayor. It's like, howdy. <laughs> yeah, that's a fun movie. I saw that in the theater. Uh, that's James Fantastic. Gunn, isn't it? It that's is. James Gunn. It's one yeah. of his, I think it's one of his first like, f- like feature-length pick features. And it's really, it's just a great movie. Yeah. And those are really the main people in the cast. Um, Gloria, who has, who is very important to the film, but isn't in it that much. Um, it's played by Deborah Shelton. She was a former Miss USA. She has a wonderful early 2000s air website with a bunch of broken links that I highly recommend everyone go to. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, you, forms are back online. Click here. Connect some problems. <laughs> yeah. So uh, she's in Hunk. Yes. What's Hunk? Hunk. This is a movie that absolutely time has forgotten, James. This is a late 80s movie that I saw on cable one night. And it's all about a nerdy guy who makes a deal with the devil, played by oh, James Coco. Movie. Played oh, by James Coco. And who's James, who's James Coco? James Co- James. You should know James Coco. That is. I'm you know sorry. What? You'll, you'll know him when you see him. You'll know when you see him. Maybe okay, audience. Let me tell you, my first girlfriend. She was a very smart young woman. Oh, James she, Coco. Okay, yes. yeah, I recognize him. Okay, go ahead. She <laughs> perpetually confused James Coco and Dom DeLuise, and I feel like that is not right. They are I different like that's men. Not, that's not fair to either of them somehow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Hunk is a movie about a nerdy guy who makes a deal with the devil, and the devil basically turns him into a very handsome man. And then like there's some hijinks ensue, and I think Deborah Shelton's just a really hot lady who he wants to date in that movie. And it's just like, wow. <laughs> you know, makes sense. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at the poster now. That looks like that looks like a. Oh God, Avery Schreiber's in this. Anyway, um, <laughs> nothing says should be in the '70s like Avery Schreiber. Uh, that sounds bad. Glo- sees Bailey in this, and her voice is dubbed. Yeah. So not a real like her care. It's one of those. She is she she is a personification of MacGuffin. Yeah, in a way, she's almost she almost a body double herself because like she's just there to be seen, but not actually like be heard. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. Uh, and then aside from her, there's a bunch of like, hey, that people. Dennis Franz is here. Yeah, you um, get to see his face this time. <laughs> yes, um, Rob Paulson, the voice of Yakko, Manomaniacs is here. And what's it's his funny, line? He has one line, and that line and is where's the, the cum shot? <laughs> where's the cum shot? Yeah, <laughs> some porn stars. Annette Haven, uh, Carl Ott. Uh, you pointed out that the girl from Choppy Mall is here, Barbara Crampton. Yeah, I, I absolutely did not recognize her. Barbara Crampton, who 
would go on to be in so many horror movies like Reanimator mm-hmm. and Chopping Mall, and she's still working today. She plays Jake's girlfriend, who, who we only see in one scene, and she's completely naked, she, you know, having sex with another man. Mm-hmm. And even though she's completely naked in that scene, which Barbara Crampton has done a lot of nudity, I did not recognize her until I looked up the credits. Like, oh, it's Barbara Crampton. I mean, I, right? didn't with, I didn't recognize it with her head on. <laughs> That's also part of the problem. Yes, yes. Uh, you, you pointed out in, in my notes that uh, the panty saleswoman is Gozer from Ghostbusters. <laughs> Let me tell you, James, when watching this movie again yesterday, you know, I, you see that uh, the, the saleswoman and she looks right in the camera and I'm like, oh, my God. And I had to look it up right away because like, that couldn't be. It couldn't be. She only has one line. But then you realize when she speaks, she's got a really heavy accent, which is why they dubbed her in, in Ghostbusters. But yeah. It's mm-hmm. Gozer. It's the whatever. She's like Yugoslavian. I don't know, but she's she's Gozer. <laughs> That's strange. And then somebody, Monty Landis from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. So he only appears. He's on TV when uh, Jake is watching porn and there's an interview and it's kind of a sleazy looking guy. And I was like, hey, that looks, guy looks familiar. And oh. yeah, one year later, he plays the magic shop owner in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. He's the fake Mario. Al Goldstein. Yes, exactly. Okay, okay, okay. I, I, now, now I know what you're talking about. I still have not seen Pee Wee's Big Adventure. <gasps> I know. Wow. I, I, I know. When I was a kid, Pee Wee scared me. Okay. Well, I don't know. I think, I, I think today you'll find him charming, I hope. I know, I know. I, I do I do want to see him. But, um, oh, we forgot one more character. The house. <laughs> it's a big character. <laughs> yes, the house in this movie is a real house. Well, the outside is, not the inside. Uh, he so he says this amazing house that's like a three hundred. It's like a UFO. Yeah, and it's called the Chemosphere, or Chemosphere. It was built by a famous ar- uh, architect, uh, John Lautner, in nineteen sixty. Um, it's been referenced in several films. It's it inspired the house that Drew Barrymore falls out of in Charlie's Angels, but it's not really that house. <laughs> and it was the ha- inspiration for Troy McClure's house in The Simpsons. Um, and, and it was also in some episodes of Outer Limits. Uh, it's a really remarkable building. Yes. Uh, it is not open to the public. It is privately owned. People live there. But it is pretty gorgeous. I found a website dedicated to homes built by John Lautner that are featured in films. And uh, one of them was a lesbian porno. And but not I this Googled- one. Not this one, no. Not and this I googled one. Okay. it. I googled it, and the whole movie's on X videos. And I, I skimmed it, and that is a very classic looking porno. I will say that. Never has a lesbian fleaway looked so good, uh, ar- ar- architecturally speaking. It's <laughs> top, top of the top of the white stuff. But anyway. We're going to spoil the hell out of this movie. So, again, last warning, you should watch Body Double. Uh, but if you watch Body Double, you might be confused when it opens, because this movie opens very strangely, right, Diamond? <laughs> you know, it hit me this time. I feel like how many movies does Brian De Palma open with people shooting a movie? <laughs> at least two. At least at least two. I can think of two. The other one is Blowout. Are there yeah, any other but- ones? 
I mean, doesn't open maybe doesn't open the movie, but I know uh, Phantom of the Paradise has a lot of like like movie shooting scenes, you know? Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So maybe not the beginning, but like there's a huge chunk of that movie that's just be- things being shot. <laughs> mm-hmm. But this one opens with a really fake sunset and uh, really corny music and really like blood soaked uh, credits because it's really the opening to a vampire film starring. Yeah. Starring our boy, uh, Craig, who's playing, what's the character's name? Jake? Jake. Starring Jake as the vampire. And things go very poorly for Jake. Yeah, he's all, you know, he's he's supposed to be in a coffin, but I gotta, I gotta give a shout out. He's, you know, this is, what, at least 20 years before anyone heard of Twilight. And he is, he's a very glittery vampire. He's got like, he's- eye sh- you know, eyeshadow on, and it's like, silver? <laughs> yeah, well, he's a new wave vampire. <laughs> He's not he's not a pretty boy glitter. He's like Bauhaus, you know. He is he is he is Peter Murphy as a vampire. So aka Peter Murphy. Uh <laughs> but things go bad right away because it turns out he's claustrophobic and he's in a coffin. <laughs> and so he completely freezes up and the director, Dennis Franz, has to take him out of the coffin and then the set bursts into flames. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wonder how much of that is inspired by real. I wonder whenever I see a movie like this that has a lot of movie stuff in it. I wonder how much is based on things that really happened. I mean, I feel like '84 might have been the year that Michael Jackson got his hair set on fire. So, oh, that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> but I wonder if I wonder if De Palma or anybody else has ever had a problem with the actor's phobia, you know, you know, interfering with the performance, because uh, he completely freezes. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's kind of a it's a wild shot too because it, it's it's like a vampire shot so it's like he does the whole you know open mouth fang thing <sighs> and it's it's scary but kind mm-hmm. of you know as, as, as vampire movies go but then he just doesn't do anything and then you yeah. hear Dennis Franz off, Dennis Franz off camera is like Jake Jake <laughs> got a claustrophobic we got a claustrophobic vampire here uh, my new dark wave band name oh, claustrophobic <laughs> vampire thank you thank you. Uh, so I love the next part of it because, like, yeah, I had a bad day at work, but I'm gonna go get hot dogs. I'm driving in my car with rear projection. I'm smiling on my face. I'm gonna go home and see my girlfriend. We have a neon sign declaring our love. <laughs> what could? What, everything is the best. 1984. Everything's good. What's that noise? <laughs> yeah, and it's so funny because he. You can hear it behind you know, the whole time he's in his house and he's getting things ready. You can hear noise in the background. It's like, oh, there's a woman having sex in this in this apartment. Mm-hmm. But he like seems oblivious. I don't yeah. know. I think she's giggling a little bit, so maybe he. I don't know what she thinks he's doing. What what does he think she's doing that she's giggling and moaning to herself? <laughs> well, we've established later on this guy has a thing for masturbation, so maybe he just thinks he's you know taking care of business. Oh, maybe he thinks he's he's interrupt interrupt her when she's pleasing herself. It's like, oh, you know, oh, you know yeah, you, you, I can I can I can I can give you a hand. No pun intended. Pun intended. Um, I don't know. I mean, let's. I don't want a TMI here, but I mean, how much how much laughter do you do when you jerk off? I don't laugh to myself. <laughs> very serious time. No smiling. <laughs> no smiling. It's very it's somber. Work. Very somber tone. Um, it's work that must be done. <laughs> it's work that must be done. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm glad we have. We, we, this is to be more ribald than our Warriors podcast. Congratulations. <laughs> um, so he he discovers them 
he 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 walks in on her. She looks sad about it, but not that sad. Not not sad enough to get off the guy's dick. Um, no, no, no. Yeah, she she only stops for like a moment, and she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah this is happening. This is happening. <laughs> yeah, he immediately goes to the bar. Realistic, starts drinking. Um, kind of establishes that he has a, he, he might have a drinking problem. Yeah, it's wild because he goes he goes to the bar and the bartender bartender knows him by name mm-hmm. and it's like I thought you quit drinking, which is kind of like if the bartender knows you by name and knows you quit drinking, that's got to be a wild relationship you have with that bartender. <laughs> the bartender must like serving you coke, like if it, <laughs> you know. And he gets mad at the bartender, then apologizes, has to crash at his place, and yeah, then you smallest see him- couch ever, ever made, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would die. That wouldn't fit my leg. Uh, it's like a Japanese couch. And he starts to go on auditions because he's a working actor. And he keeps running into Sam, played by Greg Henry. Uh, Sam kind of sees him at really opportune moments for Sam's for, for later on in the film. Um, where Sam can learn a lot about, about Jake very easily. Uh, including at this terrible acting class he goes to. Yes, which is where the "you are a baby" comes from. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Okay. I have forgotten that line until you mentioned it ten times. So, Diamond, uh, educate the audience. Describe this scene. So apparently, it's an acting class slash therapy session because mm-hmm. this this instructor is right up in Jake Sully's face, and he's making him relive some traumatic childhood memory where his brothers were. He was playing a game with his brothers, and he got trapped somewhere. But, like, he's supposed to be hiding, so he's not allowed to call for help, but he's scared. And the actor, the coach just keeps getting in his face, like, now act, now do it, now do it. And Jake's like, I can't, I can't, I can't. So the guy's like, yeah, you are you are a baby. And all this stuff. <laughs> and eventually comes to a head because, yeah, Sam basically yells at the, the teacher. Because, like, like, Jake is basically breaking down and crying because he's, he's, like, reliving this the traumatic memory. And the teacher wants him to, like, I don't know use it as motivation I, I it's it's bizarre and like yeah i'm not i'm not a working actor but i've been to acting classes and i don't remember anything on this level i'm sorry but the really interesting when sam confronts the the, the teacher the teacher points out you're not a student here <laughs> which yeah, comes in a the, line you don't think about it till later you don't think about it till later but it, it definitely comes into play so they they meet they bond over you know life sucking for for Jake, and then Sam is like, hey, I got I I need a favor. Can you come to my this magnificent house I'm staying at and house sit for me? I just yeah. met you. A wild yeah, a wild story where it's like, yeah, I'm house sitting for a friend of mine, but suddenly I've got to go to Seattle to act in something. Mm-hmm. So can you please take care of this house? Well, I'm not here. Oh, by the way, all you need to do is water the plants. Oh, by the way, I've put a telescope in this window, and look what happens when you look at the telescope at exactly midnight every day. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's yeah. It's so you know. And when you say it like that, it sounds stupid, Diamond. <laughs> um, I'm just saying, Jake. Okay, Jake is a desperate man. He's you know he can't he can't just say no to a deal like this. Mm-hmm. But at some point, he should probably ask. Really? So you have this house, you're handing to me, no strings attached, and you want me to look at the telescope every day at midnight? No, it's playing, so Jake is homeless, he's broke, and he's horny. 
Yeah. So the cop is really playing into all three of his his issues. Um, that that house is amazing. Yes. Like the inside the set, but it's like the best one. That's the best studio apartment ever. It's all because it's all one room, and yeah. has a rotating bed. Which what's I I I don't want to get vertigo when I'm sleeping or fucking. So I wouldn't want that, but it's interesting. The neon. Go ahead. I like how the rotating bed is in front of a television, which means if you're rotating, then you just you can't see the TV for like every ten seconds because you're yeah, turning really around. Strange. <laughs> I I love the neon accent lighting. Oh, it's like I'm getting a new apartment now, and I should not watch this because now I have decorating decorating ideas. Like I need neon accent lighting. There is no so way. much neon in this. Like as you pointed uh, out. Jake and Carol have a neon sign in their apartment saying Jake and Carol. And also the acting class has a sign in neon that says actors pay in advance. <laughs> this is a good joke. You know, <laughs> I, I remember sometimes people get mad at like the whole synthwave aesthetic for saying the 80s didn't look like that. But sometimes they did. And I, a I case. Think the 80s, 84 Los Angeles, I feel like it's safe to say yes. Everything was covered in neon. Absolutely. <laughs> this This feels like... Like, De Palma said he was watching a lot of MTV because he was, at the time, preparing to do a documentary, a, 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 a biopic about Jim Morrison. And I wonder how much of that aesthetic, I mean, it, it clearly, that aesthetic clearly comes into play later. Uh, <laughs> yeah? This, this video <laughs> also looks like um, there's a motel song, not only The Lonely, um, I forget, suddenly last summer. Which is eighty three, so it would have been too. Might it might have been over at the same time, but a lot of the aesthetic of that video looks like this too. Uh, very eighties, very neon, lots of windows, lots of blinds, like you know, good good shit all around. And I just I love this the situation that Jake is in. He got fired from his job because he's claustrophobic, so he's like, "Fine, I'll watch Lady masturbate again." Gets fired from his job. Okay, I'll go home and watch Lady Masturbate again. But then the th- that's the third time he's watched the Masturbate. And this time, oh my God, somebody else is watching the Masturbate. <laughs> yeah, and this is what I'm talking about because if you watch that scene again, he's looking at, you know, the house via a telescope from, you know, up a hill. Mm-hmm. And the r- only reason he notices the other guy is because the other guy is conspicuously working on a satellite dish. And he's like welding or something. So he's like firing off a light. So Jake can't help but notice there's another guy in the scene. Because otherwise he would just be looking at the woman. He wouldn't see the guy at all. But the guy specifically stages this whole thing so that Jake gets, get you know, he gets Jake's attention. That's what I'm talking about. Like movie-ass movie. This is like a, you know, this is about blocking. <laughs> it's very deliberate. And yeah. I believe the guy who they call the Indian, that's the, that's the movie terminology, uh, <laughs> is a very scarred face. Uh, but yeah. not Scarface. Uh, looks nothing like an Indian, for the record. Looks nothing no. like an Indian. Looks directly at Jake, though. <laughs> While it ha- there's no way he would see Jake, but it looks directly at him. So now mm-hmm. Jake's creeped out because, like, hey, I'm watching her masturbate, you creep. What are you doing? Uh, and then so the next day, he sees the Indian following her. So he follows her, too. And this pursuit goes on. Forever. <laughs> but also, 
Let's give uh, DePaul some credit here. This is 1984, and you've got a car chase in Los Angeles with a Ford Bronco. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's prophetic. Ten years. <laughs> yeah. Ten years of yes. early. Yeah, ten years early. Uh, I believe this is where he finds a pair of panties in the trash. Okay, so <laughs> Gloria goes shopping. And yes, Gloria is being followed by another guy. But Jake is really following Gloria. Like, he's like three steps behind Gloria. Uh, so I'm really glad at one point later on she acknowledged the fact that, yeah, you've been following me all day, buddy. You know, like, she sees him. Yeah, yeah. And it really does. The first time I watched it, I'm like, is he, are we supposed to sympathize with him? Because he's being, like, he's being a creep. Like, he's being a creep. He's a creep. He's I mean, weird. I can only assume that in his head, it's like, I'm, as long as I'm following her, that other guy can't be following her because I'm like, I'm like, uh, you know, I'm like follower kryptonite or something. Yeah. Or like, like Fight Club. Like, you know, if, if two people go to the group and they're both fakers, then they, then they can't in like experience those same emotions. Like somehow they're like, he's reflecting away the other guy, but it's like, but you're just doing what he's doing. You're being just as creepy. I just want to watch a masturbate. He has, he has ulterior motives. Um, we also point out that she he goes, did what he, she he, goes he did. panty shopping. She goes to a store and she buys, she buys some panties and she goes to try on the panties, which I don't think stores let you do to be frank. No, we do not. <laughs> and she goes to the changing room and she doesn't close the curtain. <laughs> yeah. She just doesn't. Yeah, this woman has some issues. And also, uh, we, we didn't, we didn't point out that he does also see her husband beat her. Yeah, this, yeah this, there's a lot going on again. That's that's being staged. That's very much being done for his his benefit. But then she goes to this amazing hotel. She goes on the phone. She's talking to somebody. There's somebody else involved. We never really find out who that is. No, uh, it's yeah, ne it's never resolved at all. Never resolved at all. He follows on. He follows her onto the beach. That's when he confronts her, and she confronts him. Then the quote unquote Indian shows up, steals her wallet purse. He chases after her. He goes into a tunnel. Claustrophobic, uh, claustrophobic episode. He can't stop him. The guy gets away with something. Cue the screams, screams he, at him. <laughs> screams and laughs at him, kind of. And then the most ridiculous kiss in film history. I got to say, can we also acknowledge the fact that his claustrophobic, his claustrophobia is very selective. It's very plot because, convenient. Yes. Yeah. Like. Okay, trapped in a coffin with something in front of your face. Okay, that can be freaky. But this is a tunnel. Like, it's... Okay, it's a little bit dark. Mm -hmm. But, like, it's a tunnel. You can see light at both ends. It is in no way... Like, at no point... Like, he's, he's not, like, pressed up against anything. Like, it's the kind of space you'd be expected to navigate on a regular basis. You know, in a wheelchair. Like, other people would use this thing all the time. Like... I, I, granted, he does drive a convertible, but if, if this tunnel freaks you out, how do you even get in a car? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's... <laughs> I, yeah, I I have I have claustrophobic. I'm claustrophobic. Uh, I'm a little bit claustrophobic. Like, I, I definitely I can't do that coffin shit. I can do the coffin shit, but I, I can... can't. <laughs> I can't do an MRI. I've tried. I can't do it. Um, but as long as I am in a situation where I can move my arms fully. I'm not, I'm totally fine. Uh, that when I was looking for apartments, there was a quote unquote walk-in closet. Mm. 
that was not a walk-in closet, and that freaked me the fuck. I took two steps in that, and I was like, I'm going to die in this room. So I, I have had claustrophobic episodes. Uh, I have never had anything like this in an area that spacious. I think the movie's exaggerating. But the kiss. Yeah. <laughs> and also... I don't. Does he actually say anything? I guess maybe he mentions about the, the purse. I got, I got your purse. But like, well, yeah, he's like, I've been watching talk. you. They, they, they talk for a minute, and then there's. It's very. It's it's deliberately staged to look fake. Where yes. It's a three hundred and sixty degree projection. Yeah. Um, more or less, rear, rear projection. The camera spins around them as they as they damn near go all the way in the middle of this beach. Um, one of the most over the top, like it is just it. It's like a romance novel written for straight men. That's the the vibe. It's like it's it's very like what what a straight guy would think of romance. In my I mean, opinion, he, sorry he starts to, to undressing I, her. Like they're outside yeah. in public, he starts to undress her. <laughs> Look, <laughs> he almost gets the boob out. Recurring theme on this podcast: I don't understand heterosexual men <laughs> at all. They are they are a mystery to me. Uh, but it's a strange scene. And then we go back and he's watching her again at home. And the Indian is there because the Indian stole a key card. We have to point out, though, I, I got to stop you for a second. So he is talking on the phone, but not talking to anyone like he's getting ready. He wants to oh, call her. Oh, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He can't call her. And two things about that. Number one. This phone gave me such 80s nostalgia. Like, do you remember when when cordless phones were like giant walkie-talkies with like two meter long telescoping antennas? <laughs> yes, it was like, great. Yeah. In order to use the phone, you had to pick up the phone, pull out the antenna, and then push these buttons and this whole thing, this massive thing in, against your face. <laughs> yeah. It's a, but it's a also, huge... number two... He's trying to go over lines where he might be able to say to her, might be able to talk about something. And one of the things he comes up with is like, uh, yeah, remember me? I'm the guy who almost fucked you at the beach today. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. I was looking for that line. I was looking for that line. Uh, that's not good. And then he sees the, this scene also goes on for like, this movie is like Inglorious Bastards. It has some scenes that never end. Um, the chase scenes over 15 minutes long. Uh, this stalking robbery murder scene, it 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 is it, it is prolonged to the point of comedy. Like at first, it's intense. The part that that freaked me out, and I I think I saw part of this when I was a kid, because the part where he calls her and says he's behind you. Yeah, that 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 freaked me out when I when I saw that. That was good. But then the chase, he, he strangles her as he gets up. He's going to kill her with a, with a safe cracking drill in the most phallic way possible. And yeah. then, the, yeah. It's, so this, it's, this yeah, use of ahead. the weapon got a lot of attention. Oh, yeah. And a lot of critics specifically mentioned this thing because it is, it is definitely a graphic scene because he, he, eventually he kills her with a drill. Yeah. But also it's like, there's a shot where he's got the drill near his crotch and it's like the camera's behind him. So like you see his ass and the drill is between his legs. Yeah. Just like someone party massacre. Yeah. Right. 
And also, yeah, but you should, yeah, we just that, yeah. Slumber Party Massacre is also a movie about a, a guy who kills people with a big drill. That's two years older. I wonder if he, I wonder if does Balma saw that one. Maybe. I who knows. Um, I will <laughs> say that uh, De Palma got really mad that people were hung up on this scene. There's this great. I found an interview with Siskel interviewing De Palma, and Siskel did not like the movie, and yeah. he keeps bringing up the murder scene. Uh, and De Palma got really pissed off in the interview. And he said, you know, if you keep on mentioning this drill murder, you're doing the same thing with your interview that you're accusing me of with my film. You're emphasizing it violence too much. And he defended it. Again, he's like, this movie gives, gives people a visceral reaction. He said, this is a long quote, but I thought it was funny. It's like, most movies don't even come close to getting a reaction from anyone. A lot of people just use movies as a babysitter for their brains. Escapism like Flashdance and Ghostbusters where there's nothing to react to. I like to wake people up from that somnolence. I like to throw cold water on them. You want to sleep through a movie? Go down the street to a film like Places in the Heart. Which burn on Sally Field. Um, <laughs> i never seen Places in the Heart. But, you know, and, and he... In later interviews, he says that people were, were, were attacking this film for violence. I saw one headline called him the godfather of gore. Um, uh, Siskel gave it a bad review, like I said. He said the film was crippled with crude scenes of violence. Um, LA Times said that it was misogynist and De Palma wants to sow us his depths of contempt for women. And that was all there. But from what I saw, however, in most of the negative reviews, they just thought the movie was stupid. <laughs> And they're not wrong, so we'll get there later. But um, the scene goes on forever. There's also a dog in the house that does not attack the Indian. Right. It's a it's a white dog, and it attacks. It only attacks Jake. It hates Jake. It does not attack the Indian. Uh, and again, the Indian is their phrasing, not not mine. Um, I can't use his actual name, and you'll find out later why. Uh, and then Holly is not Holly. Um, Gloria is murdered. And the cop rightfully treats Jake like shit. <laughs> Can we also acknowledge this cop, the guy playing this cop, it feels like he's out of a 40s movie. He's He's got that whole like Jack Webb thing going on. Yeah. Like he's yeah, super I, serious. He's got also got, also got like a really deep baritone voice too. Yeah. I he's from Jake. I got you here and you, you know, it's, it's really kind of wild. You got a panties in your, in your pocket. What the <laughs> fuck's wrong with you? Again, the cop's not wrong. Um, yeah, oh no, oh no, the, the panties I stole from the garbage can bit me in the ass. Why did you steal those panties, Jake? <laughs> Why? Yeah, it's fair. <laughs> um, now, and up to this point, this is a weird movie. Yep. You know, and it's it's very Hitchcockian, and it's very, it's it's a thriller, it's an erotic thriller of, of, of the era, to a point. But then, so this scene ends, Jake goes back to the house. He's watching what has to be like pay cable because it's hardcore yeah. pornography. Yes. And he just happens to stumble upon a pornographic. T- like, I, he's watching porno on TV. He's like, I d- well, my neighbor just got murdered. I'm going to watch porn. Um, right. As, as one does. And he happens to notice the actress in this porno scene is masturbating, dancing. In the same way that he saw Gloria do it. Now, again, I don't understand straight men. I would not notice um, the similarities in a masturbation routine. 
maybe that's just me. I don't know. Uh, on planet Earth, on planet Earth, we would all be in the same boat. But this is like the Palmer Earth. Yeah. Because, like, you know, again, you talk about staging, you talk about, you talk about presentation. The sh- You know, he's looking at, he's looking through a telescope at Gloria across the window. And this is not just the fact that she is walking around her apartment, you know, underdressed. It's that she's wearing a very specific outfit and does a very specific routine every night at the same time. And I just want to put this out. When she does for the, when she sees it after Jake sees it for the first time and he talks to Sam about it, Sam actually asks him, Hey, did you see her face? Yeah. And it's, it's supposed to be, again, a throwaway line. Cause like, Oh, she's gorgeous. But it's like, Oh yeah, you never see your face. I wonder why. Because yeah, I it's mean, not Gloria. <laughs> I, I don't know if I should even mention this. I, I just put this politely. Let's say hypothetically, <laughs> I happened upon a man masturbating somewhere. Yeah. I w- and then you asked me later, what did his face look like? I would not be able to tell you <laughs> because that's not where my eyes would be going. Um, so maybe I'm functioning differently. I don't know. But he sees her on TV. Her name, what, what is her name? Is her name, is it Hollywood? Holly Body. Holly Body. Holly Body. And Holly Body. The movie. Yeah. The movie's called Holly Holly Body Does Hollywood. Yeah. Obvious riff on Debbie Does Dallas. And he immediately wants to meet her because he's like, wait a second. I saw you get killed. So he goes to audition for porn. <laughs> Very easy audition. Yeah, and all took all took was one one meeting with one guy, and I guess apparently he took his clothes off at some point, and boom, he's in a movie with a, with a porn star he saw, and apparently a very successful porn star. So like, <laughs> that's how easy it was in the eighties, I guess. Well, you, two, there are three possibilities. <laughs> one, this porn director is not very discerning. <laughs> two, Jake has an amazing dick. We don't see it. That's true. Three, we don't see it. We don't see it. Three. The script has problems. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with three. Although I'll, yeah, I'll give Jake the benefit of the doubt. I guess with, with two. Uh, this takes us to possibly the greatest scene in film history. Um, it's top ten. Top ten. I. Uh, it's so one hour, sixteen minutes into the film. <laughs> <laughs> We get the porn scene. And by porn scene, I mean a music video for Frankie Goes to Hollywood Relax featuring the band in the video. And Jake as Craig. And Jake. Or or Craig as Jake. Choreographed. (laughs) There's dancing. It this is when the movie becomes so heterosexual, it turns back around and becomes gay. Like you, you can't have Frank goes to Hollywood in your in your heterosexual sex fantasy and not be a little bit gay. Um, it, because, it is it is yeah. so it is so surreal and so staged and so carefully choreographed. I think the first time I saw it, I assumed this was going to be some sort of weird dream sequence where he's like, where Jake is like imagining what it's going to be like on a porn movie set. 
Yeah. But like, no, no, this is the actual porn movie set and they're actually making a porn. And apparently in this, in this, again, in the Palmer Earth, porn sets are just music videos. But, and also this is a common thing you see in a lot of movies that have movies in the movie. Like they'll film far too much as one take. Like in like this is all a a consecutive shot. Like no, it's oh god, it is one shot, isn't it? Not all one shot. There's cuts. There's cuts. Okay. My point is, in the real world, they would cut. They'd move stuff. There's lighting. There's all kinds of shit. But in the world of De Palma, in the world of movies in movies, a movie take can a movie a scene of someone filming a movie can be uninterrupted filming for up to five minutes, and no one yells cut. Uh, it's ridiculous, but I don't care because the scene is unbelievable. And, you know, they said in the 80s that Americans didn't understand the true meaning of relax, but the Palmer service sit did. I mean, oh. the, the lyrics are not subtle. The lyrics well, of the song are not subtle. People didn't get it. <laughs> people in America didn't get what relax was about. They thought it was about chilling out. And I'm not joking. They're like, like, People in America did not get the double entendre of when you want to come. I mean, in my defense, I was a child when the song came out, so I didn't know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the way that it – so he goes to the the woman's bathroom labeled sluts, which is great. (laughs) I need that for my bathroom. Um, Just to be accurate. And they, they, they they get to business, and the way it cuts on the (gasps) – it's just – De Palma sort of made music videos. <laughs> he still he could. He still could. God damn it! Um, someone get him to meet Olivia Rodrigo now. <laughs> I want this to happen. I, I am not. I I am focusing on this scene a lot. I think this is amazing filmmaking. Just balls to the wall, going for it, not giving a fuck about how stupid it is. Just going all the way. It is a. It is magnificent. It is my shit. All the way. Um, and I will never hate this film, no matter how far, no matter how all the problems it has, no matter how stupid it gets. This is peak cinema. This would be in film class. That's my opinion. And Sorry. I love how, you know, as soon as the scene ends, and it basically, you know, Jake and Holly have had sex. Like the very next shot of Jake is like he's completely changed his entire personality and and wardrobe. <laughs> hey, Melanie Griffith will do that to you, I guess. Uh, and you're right; she is he is transformed into a and sleazy, and he's trying to get like this is also stupid as shit. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what's going on now? Yeah, so he's completely changed his outfit and personality and. His basically entire persona, like he basically all of a sudden he's acting. Like up until this movie, up until the scene, uh, Jake has clearly struggled to be an actor. Like people have ha- had him, like you know, okay, Jake, action, and he like he struggles to do this. But suddenly he's developed a whole new persona where he's actually a rich guy who's a make a mover and a shaker, and he wants to hire Holly Body away from her current employer and give her a ton of money and points, and he also wants to take her out for a drink. And I think he also wants to sleep with her, but that's kind of besides the point. But really, well, I already, mean, all, yeah, yeah. all this is a ruse because he wants to get alone, get her alone and talk to her about why did he see her in the window. Mm. But he's going so over the top and he's it's so extra. Like, he's really setting himself up here for the big, you know, for the big crash when she's going to ask him necessary questions about 
you know, the deal he's offering, you know, it's, it's not going to hold up. Yes. And they, they go to a bar and they talk and she thinks that he wants a four part. So she is, uh, she goes over her do her don't list. Yep. Which I'm going to read now. <laughs> Please. <laughs> uh, I do not do Animal X. I do not do S&M or any variations of that particular event. No water sports either. I will not save my pussy. No fist fucking and absolutely no coming in my face. I get $2,000 a day and I do not work without a contract. I kind of, I'm actually kind of surprised that water sports is that old. You know, I thought that was an internet thing, but no, this is 84. Oh, no, no, no. I, 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 have, I have seen that phrase used in old films. Okay. Um, yes. Uh, that this has to be this has to be one of the earliest cases of someone saying fist fucking on camera. Has to in, be, a, in like, a mainstream film, sure. In a mainstream film. This is before. This is before. This is before Trent Reznor, Trent Reznor didn't want a Grammy. Trent Reznor used to joke because he won a Grammy for the song Wish, and it has yeah. the line fist fuck in it. And he used to joke. He he wants his tombstone to read says, says says Trent Reznor said fist fuck won a Grammy. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so they they have this kind of exchange. He takes her back to his place, the, the chemosphere, and he's trying to egg out of her like how this happened. And eventually, he she says enough, enough, enough that he figures out that. And then Sam calls him very, very convenient. Um, yep. At the same time, he he puts it all together. Sam hired her to be a body double. So to give. So how does how does Jake think it's happened then? So what does Jake so think? Jake thinks okay. This this is what this is what Jake this is the plot that as Jake thinks has happened. He went to this he got this house, he got the he got the telescope, all the stuff was set up for him so he could be staring at this woman's window every night. That way when the you know, when this Indian shows up working for Gloria's unseen husband, that way he could be a witness and he would see her get murdered and there would be that would be an alibi for the husband because oh look you know no 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 it wasn't it was not the husband i saw an indian do it yes and 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 as far as jake th- jake knows that sam is the husband has he figured that out yet i don't know if he has yeah, figured that's that out what, yet that's what he, th- he that's what i mean yeah cuz it has to be okay like cuz who else would it be he hasn't figured out the other part right so Holly gets mad at jake for being weird she leaves. She's trying to get a, someone to hitch. She sees a car wreck. <laughs> very, very silly scene. Um, she, kind of, she almost causes the car wreck. I think she, she causes, influenced well, it. I think they're car racing, but yeah. They are. Um, yes. They're drifting. <laughs> they're drifting. Yes, this is, this is LA drift. And then the Indian picks her up. Uh, Jake goes out to... to Jake go, gets in the car to go to the police station after calling the cops and giving his version of what he thinks happens, which is there's an identical scene to that in Missing Impossible of like the protagonist narrating what he thinks is happening while you see it happening. The, oh my God. Yeah, you're right. Identical. Identical. Um, I didn't put that together. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah. And then so <laughs> he sees there's the car wreck. And so there's a, the police are stopping him. He sees. The Indian club Holly and drive off somewhere. The cops won't help him. He runs after him, goes to this like near a reservoir where the Indian has already dug a grave. Yep. To bury Holly. And I'm kind of some resting through this because we're going we're going pretty long. They they have a fight. 
and the dog. <laughs> what this explains why the dog didn't attack the Indian, because you find out the Indian is. <gasps> It's the only other guy in the movie, basically. <laughs> Sam, 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 Sam in makeup, yes. So, so yeah. So that's why the dog didn't attack the the Indian earlier. The dog goes to attack. I think Jake. Jake jumps out of the way. The dog tackles Sam into the reservoir. I imagine the dog dies. It's a good dog. Um, I mean, if the dog's a good swimmer, maybe. Maybe, but so in that case, so Sam could have lived too. It, it could have been a sequel. It's possible, but it. I don't think, even if he survived, he would have been washed way the hell downstream, and the the water was very rapid. So, like, yeah, I'd put more money on the dog than Sam. Yeah, yes, and then what we did forget when Sam pushes Jake in the coffin, it has that really weird cut. Not a cut, well, the grave. That really weird cut of Sam is back in the in the in the vampire movie. Yeah, this is an incredible scene. So, yeah, yeah. go ahead. They fight, they fight over this open grave. Holly's already in the grave. Um, basically, again, Jake goes into the gift. I think Jake falls in or they, 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 they wrestle in there. And then all of a sudden, because Jake is in a grave, suddenly his plot claustrophobia kicks in. Again, the grave is not filled in. It's this big, it's, it's an open grave. He's not trapped in anything. He can stand up. He can just leave. But yeah. no, he's frozen. So Sam starts to bury him and taunt, taunt him the entire time. And it's this incredible shot because, like, it's getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, Craig, he's not, he didn't change his clothes. He's still wearing his his same clothes. But all of a sudden, he's back on the vampire set. Which, by the way, I should point out, it's a throwaway line. The movie that Jake was supposed to be making is called Vampire's Kiss. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which would become a real movie Mm -hmm. in 1988 starring Nicolas Cage. An incredible movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, yeah. Craig basically has, or sorry, I keep saying Craig and Jake interchangeably. I'm sorry. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. But yeah, basically he has a sort of mini, mini fantasy sequence where he's back on set and he got claustrophobic again. And then his friends is yelling at him and Franz tries to tell him, Hey, go home. It's like, no, we're going to do this. Like he basically stands up to Dennis. He stands up to Dennis Franz and he gets back in the coffin. And suddenly <laughs> in real life, he stands up to Sam and gets out of the grave. Yeah. It's a, it's a great scene. It's a great scene. Yes. And that's how they had the final fight. I forgot about that. Yeah, it is. It's kind of a cool, like, uh, literalization of his internal struggle to overcome his fear. Yes. And then so he kills. So so bad guy wins. Uh, Holly now will not come out of the grave because he thinks Jake is a killer, which, you know, rightfully so. But then it cuts to the credits. For some reason, Jake got his job back. He's a vampire. And he's filming a scene with a body double. Yes. And and for some reason, Holly is there too. I guess I guess he convinced her at some point, oh, yes. this is, no, really, I, I'm actually an actor and I, I didn't murder anyone. And now I'm semi-famous. The end. <laughs> so. Which, let's be honest, that's probably how I got the job back. You know, when the, when the whole story unfolded, probably the director read about the things, oh, Jake, I love you. Well, come back, come back to our movie. Because you know, we should say the movie he was making didn't look like a quality production. <laughs> no, it's a low budget movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So. so having a semi celebrity in the part probably benefited the movie way more than it benefited even Jake to have a job. Yeah, that's a good. That's a that's a very good point. I didn't think about that. So, uh, movie ends. I feel like just like how I've rushed the the last ten minutes of the film, the movie rushes the last half an hour. 
<laughs> and that's probably my biggest problem with the film is that the it, it has a great slow burn, almost too slow. And then everything comes together so fast in the end with the, the contrivance of him watching porn on TV and seeing her do the same routine. It's so stupid. <laughs> that's, that, that's probably the biggest leap of logic. Like you can, you can ask a lot of questions about how, how did Sam's plan even work? Like what was, what was going on there? But yeah, the fact that the murder is, you know, we should also mention the, yeah, the, the fact that the murder turns into a whole fight scene, like that shouldn't have happened. That should have just been an, a, a one, you know, a strangulation. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I feel, but, but, but when I watched it the first time, I didn't think about that. So, mm-hmm. While you're watching, it's just one of those films, like, Meg 2 is stupid while you're watching it. Yeah. <laughs> like, you watch Meg 2, you watch Fast and Furious, whatever, you're like, well, that's dumber than shit. But when you watch this, the movie gets you in its world so well. Yeah. That you really don't think about the contrivances, much like a Hitchcock film, until it's over. And you're like, wait a minute, that didn't make any sense. But it was so cool. Yeah. And that's where I really come down on this. It's it's not a perfect film. It has severe script issues, but it's just so fucking cool that I have to love it. Um, but when it came out, hey, nobody loved it. No, <laughs> it, no, it did uh, not. Critics hated it. It opened October 24th, 1984, the same weekend as Terminator. It opened playing that weekend. Uh, Terminator number one with four million Number two was Terror in the Isles. Jesus. Which is uh, like basically like a clip show of horror <laughs> movies. This is, this, but this was right before Halloween. So I guess that makes sense. Exactly. I, I, know, I, understand, the, I understand the timing of the release, but it's like, that's what the movies were like back then. It's like, oh, we, do, we have a big Hollywood, do we have a big Hollywood movie this year? Uh, no, but we got a bunch of older movies we can cut together. Great. Uh, like, this is, to show you what movies were like back then, like, number four was Places in the Heart. <laughs> in its sixth week and in its 21st week ghostbusters in the 13th oh yeah <laughs> which shows you how like how how movies used to have legs the following also, week how big ghostbusters was like it's yeah, almost the following, funny yeah go ahead i'm sorry <laughs> it's funny how it's funny how brian de palma kind of name checked ghostbusters you know which is a beloved movie like i get it but like that was a massive massive hit in 84 no yeah. one could top that movie, and everyone saw it multiple times. It was just a cultural phenomenon. Also, Places of the Heart um, made more than Body Double. <laughs> Places of the Heart uh, did quite well. But the following week, it's really interesting. If you look at the following week, nothing else came out. Like back That's then. actual Halloween, isn't it? <laughs> it uh, most week after Halloween, November, November 4th, November 2nd to 4th, nothing came out that weekend. Everything in the top 10 is the same movies, hmm. which you would never see now. Uh, has to be something every week. So it, it came and went really fast. Reviews are bad. Uh, I do like to th- point out that this was playing. This was playing in theaters around the same time as Crimes of Passion, which I want to cover someday on this podcast. Crimes of Passion is a hornier film. <laughs> uh, that what's Ken Russell? Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> okay. it's, yeah, yeah. It's 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 it, yeah. It's Ken Russell, oh God, Ken Russell. But anyway, uh, but I feel like this movie has aged very well because its eightiesness is better now, and the style it, people can appreciate it for the style. And I think to a certain extent, people can have fun with it. 
more than it did back then and laugh at it. And the misogyny, the violence against women part, I feel like that's a really overstated and it's more, it's, it's, it doesn't bother me. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not like Sam is a serial killer who's been killing, you know, been stalking women around LA. Like this is, this is all for one very specific height, you know, heist essentially. Like essentially it's a heist. Cause he wants to rob basically he wants to get, he wants to get it, get her money. Yeah. So yes, he kills her. And that is, you know, that is by definition violence against women, but it's like, this is not a hobby for him. This is just, he, it's a means to an end. And there is sex and there is violence, but there isn't any sexual violence. No, I mean the the porn set. All the stuff on porn set is is presumably consensual. So. I mean, it would have to be. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if if that's an issue for you, that's not here. So, uh, I recommend this movie, even though I I I was saying it's stupid because it's stupid. But uh, I think I think Diamond, I think you're definitely with me, right? You recommend yeah. this one. So Absolutely. I, I love it, and you know the fact that. Okay, granted, I saw it under weird circumstances, so obviously I didn't remember everything that happened. But <laughs> even still, even still, rewatching it for this podcast, I had forgotten multiple elements that made the movie even wilder when when rewatching them. Like I had forgotten little things that just didn't, you know, like like the line about I was the guy who almost fucked you at the beach today. I forgot that line. Yeah, so yeah. that's a good line. So I did put in, in your in your Twitter DMs. I just gave you the list of movies I have to rank. I have oh. to rank this movie. And I forgot, okay. I, I realized last podcast I did not rank troll either. So oh, no. I know I said rank troll too. So before we get to body level, troll. So I'm gonna say troll's a good movie. Yes. So that means it's better than my my cutoff for that is natural born killers. Everything below natural born killers on my list is a bad movie. Um oh. I might like them, but they're bad movies. Okay. I would say troll was better than BMX Bandits. I would say Troll is looking at my list. I'm going to say Troll is my new number 46. Meaning, no, no. I'm going to say it's my new number 47. So it's better <laughs> than BMX Bandits, but not as good as Big Shots or Trick or Treat. Okay. Uh, so that's my opinion. And then Body Double, we got to move way up. So Body Double for me is just outside my top 10. Wow. Okay. I'm I'm gonna say Body Double is better. Th- it's better than Switchblade Sisters. Okay. Is it better than Car? It might not be better than Car Wash. So I think it's not better than Cat on Demand. And so we're looking between thirteen and fifteen. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it's better than them. So I'm gonna say Body Double is number my new number fourteen. So right, right behind Class of 84, which is also a, a movie we did. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I guess that pushes back uh, Troll to be like 48 or whatever. But anyway, you know what I mean. Uh, this, list is, this list is on my letterbox. If anybody ever wants to check it out, Cinema, Cinema Oblivia Ranked. But this is amazing because I just I have to point out that at number 22, or I guess 23 now, is another 80s neon-drenched classic, Manhunter. <laughs> yeah, let's, uh, yo, you know what I like? 80s neon bullshit. Number yeah. seven, Tooth of Fire. You know, uh, that's it's my jam. 80s neon bullshit. Last Dragon, 24, 25. You know, uh, Google 13, The Professional. Anime neon bullshit. Um, sure. The movie's ridiculous. So, but we got to wrap it up because I have to go get paperwork for an apartment. Okay. <laughs> so, Diamond, thanks again for doing this on short notice. I appreciate it. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on just about any service, including 
Letterbox, where I do a lot of movie stuff too. Uh, look up Fight Club, F E I T, that's my last name, C L U B, that's a noun or a verb. So Fight Club. And I also have to just before before we go anywhere else, I want to point out that I work a lot on Retronauts, which is a podcast that's mostly about old video games, but we cover a lot of old things too. And James has been a frequent guest on that podcast. We've and we've talked about famous movies like The Warriors. And if you're listening to this in recent times, you can also listen to us talk about Night of the Living Dead because it turned 55 this year. So we have a very good podcast about that. So this is good. When this goes up, uh, Night of the Living Dead episode will still be a Patreon only, but it'll be on the main feed next week, right? Yeah, it's yeah. As of this recording, it's Patreon. <laughs> it's Patreon exclusive. But yeah, by the time this goes up, it should only be a couple days before it goes live for everybody. This, this is this is going up on, on the night on on the nineteenth America time. So the following week, it'll be available for everybody to listen to. Uh, that was a you, me, and Bill 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 Mudrin. I, I, I can never that's say right. his name, but yes, that's that's Talk. right, Bill Mudrin. If, if you want to find out how a movie literally scarred me for decades. Uh, listen to that podcast. So uh, <laughs> you can find me everywhere as Lost Turntable. You know, I'm still calling it Twitter. I'm on Blue Sky. Uh, if you want to follow me in a happy way, follow me on Letterboxd. That's my favorite place to be on the internet. So uh, I got to go. So until the, until some other time, <laughs> I'll be back with another episode soon. Uh, Diamond, thanks again. And until then, take care. Good night. Good night.